Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. And we have an amazing storyteller. I have the pleasure to welcome you here to Urbanistica podcast. Hey, and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, well, now after this conference, I'm uh, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm truly, uh, well, it was inspiring. A lot of nice talks. So, yes. But my, my head is full, so it will take me a few days to process. Yeah. But uh, did you enjoy the city, the conference? I have seen very little of the city. So tomorrow I have time. Yeah. Night. Then I will discover. Have you been to the city already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you live also in Sweden, yes, right? Yes, yes. Uh, um, yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, the conference was really well produced, and the speakers, and the sessions were really interesting. So, and the most value I got, of course, is speaking with the people while having coffee. Yeah, <laughs> in between the <laughs> sessions, of course. But that's always right. Yes. But you had a session in in the conference. Yeah. So I was coordinating a session about. Uh, mobility in districts yeah. and I was also speaking in another session about participation yeah. and now you're doing a podcast and so I'm much, doing a podcast so much energy it's very 2022 to have a <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you are our storyteller tell us about you how would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about your passion um so you want the short or the long long with details <laughs> uh yeah I'm, my name is Lior Steinberg I'm an urban planner uh, very short <laughs> and i'm originally from tel aviv uh but i live in europe already for over 10 years of uh, first berlin then stockholm and uh, later uh, the netherlands which is where i reside now um, and i studied urban planning masters in uh, stockholm university so very nice time in sweden yes uh, fell in love with sweden could not find the housing as uh, most Swedish people know. After graduating? No, uh, while studying, it yeah. was a mess. Uh, I mean, I found, of course, but yeah. I uh, didn't see any chance of staying in Sweden because I, I already saw it is a ridiculous uh, headache to enter the housing system. Okay, yeah. You, you need to have money or like good salary. <laughs> or really in queue for a long time, right? Yeah, this is like... A <laughs> another <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> Unless they register you when you are... Uh, a baby exactly <laughs> ridiculous system so yeah. no so it actually was a big part of my decision to to try other places okay uh, they, they just having no realistic option to to live in sweden uh and then i went to to the netherlands and i found it very nice and of course i fell in love with uh, mm -hmm. cycling uh and that's where i yeah that's where i live work um work from uh and mostly having projects in and a few years ago i started humankind which uh, back then was sort of just collaboration, uh, but turned quite quickly into a company mm -hmm. uh, where we advise uh, cities mostly and some governments uh, on uh, 
yeah, urban planning, urban design, public space, mobility, and uh, yeah, in general, we like to call it urban change. Okay. So, uh, but is your focus more on mobility or no? Like, um, I started from mobility. I think a lot of uh, a lot. I, I think a lot of urban planners, especially men, start from mobility. I don't know why, but I think it's, it's always <laughs> <laughs> starts by trying to fix traffic. Mm. So you sit in traffic and you think, ah, I can solve it. I just can build another lane and solve it. So I think that's that's where I started at. Yeah. Very quickly, I discovered that, of course, it's impossible. Uh, learning from Jane Jacobs and Jan Gill, of course, uh, which I saw you interviewed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that. Really nice. Um, yeah. Um, then realizing that there is no difference between mobility and public space. It's the same thing. The other side of the two uh, two sides of the same coin mm. um so you need to do both and it's a challenge because most uh, assignments you get are either from the mobility department or from the public space department yeah like and they also don't work with each other so definitely mm. you it's very difficult for you as a consultant to, yeah to, to do it but uh, i do both i work with the municipality and i do both uh, projects on the public space and for the mobility department and sometimes even mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. On the same project. Mm-hmm. How big is your team? Uh, we are now uh, six, seven, seven people. Okay. Uh, well, with the interns a little bit more, but uh, yeah, we are uh, we are actually expanding and shrinking according to situation and and, uh, and project. Yes. And uh, depends actually where we work because mm. in all of our pro i don't think we've ever done a project solely by ourselves we always had a partner or many partners or another company yes um and it depends also on the country we work at and uh, the city we work with yeah yeah so uh tell me more because like what i want to talk with you about today is mobility and data storytelling but also your new book so we we can we can start with um, with the mobility and biking. Like, how do we change the behavior of people? Uh, even sometimes, even here in Sweden, like we have infrastructure, we have bike lines and everything, but still people uh, don't want to bike. So how do we change this? Um, I think that uh, we need to remember, and I think Corona is a good uh, good reminder that we get used to everything. Um, I mean, do you remember that? Well, maybe not in Sweden because you had a very particular. Open, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in the Netherlands, you had to wear a mask, uh, and three months ago or half a year ago, we stopped with that. And okay. I cannot even re like imagine or remember we've ever wore masks. And in the time when we had to do it, it was such a normal thing. So yeah. it take you a week to get used to mm. change. I would say. I mean, maybe more, maybe less. Um, but we are very adaptive creatures, so it is very difficult to uh, hope that people will uh, change their behaviors when they still easily can stick to the old, um, to the old way of doing things, right? So they, uh, um, they have um, a car, for instance, and they can drive to the city, and it takes them one hour, and then you introduce maybe congestion pricing to try to reduce cars but it's only one euro that's not going to change anything um then you build a bike lane so it makes the road a little bit more uh, with more car congestion i thought they will just stand in traffic for 20 more minutes it Mm. wouldn't change anything you need to have radical change and also radical uh, other option so 
it means if you want to move a lot of people from uh, driving to cycling, it means that you need to have much better bike net, much better than the ones you have in Sweden. And you need to make uh, driving uh, at least uh, less... Uh, like more, more difficult to drive, easier to bike. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the Netherlands, I, I'm not Dutch, so I can I can speak good about the Netherlands, right? So as an objective. Okay. The Netherlands, people cycle because not because they are good people or that they care about the environment. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. In every country you have people. Of course. They do it because it's the most efficient thing to do. Like it's saving time and saving comfortable? Time. Yeah, it's the most, it's most cheap. It's the cheapest and the fastest way to get from your home to your work if you live in the same city. And if you will introduce a faster, easier and cheaper way, Dutch people will do it. So if we will now say that cars are free, gas is free, and we will turn all bike lanes into roads, Dutch people will choose the car. Makes and, sense, because it's like for free and then yeah, fast, and faster. Fast. And uh, uh, then if you will tell them, no, but you need to be good citizens and use the and try to fit your bicycle through the, the road, it will not work. And I can say it for certain because Dutch people 40 years ago turned their cities uh, from car-centric to bike-centric. So it, they also were in this problem and they, they were able to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so you you mean that if if let's say in Sweden if we see a people they don't want they don't bike even if we have bike lines it means that there is something wrong with the bike line yeah. and it's not fast and it's not uh, cheap. Uh, no, I, I I say that either the bike lanes are not good. I, I haven't been to Sweden for a long time. Here in here in Helsingborg, okay, uh, they are uh, decent still. Sometimes they just stop. So, okay, for instance, a bike lane that just stops in the middle of the road is not a good bike lane. Yeah, you mean not connected. Not connected. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the bike network, your experience, is as good as the weakest part, mm. of the, of the, as the weakest link. Yeah. So we never have a road that just stops on the way to work with a car, right? We never True. have a road that just stops and then <laughs> the driver <laughs> needs to leave the car, go around, enter back to the car. But yeah. we do have it for cycling. True. And you have it still in Sweden, mm. in the Netherlands less. Uh, and the other way thing is that I don't, I've never owned a car in uh, Sweden, but I think it, uh, compared to the income of the average Swedish person, it's not that expensive. No, it's very cheap. <laughs> not I, okay, not very cheap, but it's cheap because it's I owned before. Yeah. So why 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 would anyone, especially that it's a little bit cold, yeah, if they have a car outside of the house, why would they ever choose to to use the bicycle? I mean, the car is quite affordable. Gas is not so expensive, especially compared to the salaries. Uh, or the price of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think so. The alternative is too cheap. It's too comfortable. Yeah, it's way too comfortable to sit in a car alone. Mm. Especially that not all most Swedish cities are not so congested. Yeah. So I think it's it's still way too easy to 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 drive and not easy enough to cycle. Do, so so what 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 is your reaction when sometimes like it's a cultural problem. What, what what do you mean? Like some like what I'm reading sometimes uh, or talking with the traffic planners here in Sweden, they say, okay, but we fix the bike line, but still people like such let's say a specific group of people or gender they don't want to bike uh, because it's a cultural problem or it's a cultural belief. Yeah, I I say. Uh, by the way, are you being a devil's advocate or that's your belief? I was just wondering. <laughs> no, I'm an advocate. <laughs> <laughs> no because i know that i don't need to convince you right but no, uh, no, what no, i say no. to those people is first of all i mean culture is, is a strong thing i believe that culture plays a big role in the decisions of people but 
um, take Sweden for instance. I mean, it's it's a society that exists for <laughs> thousands of years. I cannot imagine that an invention that was invented 100 years ago can really change a, a culture, complete culture from A to Z. It, it has a, a big influence on society and the way people live, but it's definitely not part of culture. And that's true also, uh, you know, in the Netherlands, uh, they say a lot of time, no, oh, it's immigrants. They see the car as a status symbol. No, also immigrants came from countries that 100 years ago didn't have cars. So I, I, I think... There is maybe some social aspect if you come from certain groups, but it's definitely not, I wouldn't call it culture, mm-hmm. not hard, hardcore culture. Yeah. Uh, and then to the traffic engineers, I would say, yeah, maybe you build one lane, but did you look at the street that leads to that lane? And did you check with, I mean, you build maybe a lane that you feel comfortable cycling on, mm. but did you ask your mother if she can cycle on, or would you ever let your child cycle on a lane that mm. goes next to a busy road? So yeah, sometimes sometimes it's easy to blame cultures, especially if it's not your culture. It's always easier to blame easier, yeah. another culture, you know, another mm-hmm. uh, other culture. People who moved in uh, recently, etc. And uh, I think unfortunately people still do it uh, instead of looking at their own their own projects yeah. and realizing, ah, maybe you didn't, or maybe your project was perfect, but it's just such a small drop in the sea, you know, mm-hmm. one one lane. Is amazing. I, I I applause everybody who builds one lane. It's way it's way more than most traffic engineers ever done. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's definitely not enough. You need a network. You need a safe network. Yeah, but you also let's talk about your book. Yeah, it's for kids. Yeah, and I love it. So tell me, tell me, like the background. Why did you decide to write a book, and why for kids? Yeah, so we we sat at the office at Humankind, and we are looking at a huge bike lane a huge bike track actually it's a it's a it's a, it's a four meter wide bike track and it's a new one in the middle of the city okay and uh, we saw a car stuck on it uh, and joran uh, my partner at humankind he told me look at this stupid car i mean it's stuck in the middle of the bike lane because it took the wrong turn it's such, it's uh, such a wide it's it's super big it's super big so it looks like a car lane. <laughs> that's how, how big it is so it got stuck and all the Dutch cyclists around it were like, uh-huh. afraid it. <laughs> and then I thought, I mean, Joran, you should not judge this car. The car just wants to be a bicycle. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that would be a, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful book for children. And I remember when I was a child, I read only about cars. Then I checked with my uh, sister and my uh, niece and nephew, and all their books are about either machines or cars. True, the same here. Like ev- every time I want to buy something, I see like about a truck, fire, car, you know, like a, or... I mean, still, like some cars doing their job, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> but it's more, and that's why as kids we really love it. So then I thought, yeah. oh yeah, let's write a, a book about a car that wants to be a bike. It's also about, it's also sort of a story about someone who doesn't feel good with their body and wants to change a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then it's also so that we should not judge the car because the car maybe was created as a car but wants to be a bike. But then in general, it's also, and that was really important for me. Yeah, also speaking with. Uh, Um, other urbanists and also some psychologists is not to create a story where the car is the evil and the bike is the is the good is the good. No, we needed cars. We still need sometimes cars, as you said. Some cars like fire trucks are really important. Also, by the way, personal cars are still uh, even like personal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you live in a village uh, in, in Sweden, you might we might not. You have no choice. No, you have no choice. And also, why should we invest so much money on a train? We can. 
can have a car maybe electric car is even better it can also yeah. be shared yeah. but anyway cars are fine yeah personal cars are also fine some, sometimes sometimes exactly and i think that if it was just a story about a family that used the car because it was good but then they discovered that the city is changing and they found cycling a really really nice thing to do and the car is jealous and tries to become a bike <laughs> so it has a good story i, I don't yeah. want to spoil the the end uh, yeah. but it has a good end so don't mm. worry your, your your child will not uh, uh, cry <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but is it uh, in uh, in which language is this book so I, i wrote it in english just because i thought yeah that's the language that everybody understand but of mm-hmm. course kids of three to seven years old don't all understand english mm-hmm. uh, the amazing thing is that i got so many uh, pre-orders uh, before i published it just by publishing it on linkedin nice and twitter and i got a lot of volunteers asking me to translate to it translate it so i have it already now i think almost in portuguese in dutch german Spanish I'm um, working now with an NGO to do it Arabic mm-hmm. and then I, w- I will do the Hebrew so we can put the link also for people to order it yeah it would be amazing I have to say it's 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 truly the, you say it and about a lot of people say it about the work but this is truly nice not a money maker it's just about fun nice and, uh, how much does it cost uh, it depends where you buy it uh, because I don't I just sell I they print it per order uh, and you get it within a week worldwide it's from netherland no from I, it depends where you order it so okay so it's different it's uh, different locations to print okay. it so amazon sells it for uh, sometimes 17 dollars sometimes okay. more are you getting rich with this i'm absolutely didn't even cover the cost <laughs> of the of the hours <laughs> and i'm selling like hundreds of, of copies uh but it's coming month. i think it's no, coming i don't think it's going no? i don't think it will no, you should think It will be like Harry Potter, Harry Potter author. For, uh, <laughs> I wanted Disney to to buy the the rights for a film. That's yeah, my that's yeah. My But tell me, like, because um, many of the listeners, even me, like, we have interesting stories, and we want like to write books and so on. So, how was the methodology of yeah. of you from getting the idea until you publish? Like, just explain to us so we just get more yeah. uh, motivated. Well, you produce a podcast every week for already <laughs> years, so I don't need to tell you how to stick to a project. I mean, it, but it's like, uh, do you get a lot of people asking you how to do yeah. a podcast? Yeah. And what is your answer? Well, I do first like uh, idea, analysis, then research, then ask people who did it before me, and then... Uh, my answer, if you want to write a book, uh, I heard it in actually another podcast. Someone said it. There are only two modes on writing a book. Either you write it or you don't write it. And I think that the majority of people... <laughs> don't write it. <laughs> don't write it. They just say, I'm writing a book or I have an idea for a book. Okay. So what I did is that I had the idea. Children's book is quite easy to write. I mean, uh, you need to think a lot, uh, process it in your head. Uh, but it was uh, basically, I took uh, three days off on a weekend, uh, went to a cafe, sat in a cafe and wrote... <laughs> Wrote, uh, wrote the book, the script, and then I uh, found online an amazing illustrator um, on a website called Fiverr. Mm-hmm. We never met, we never spoke on the phone, nor uh, <laughs> Skyped or anything, or Zoomed. We just chatted on uh, <laughs> on a chat. Uh, we just, uh, yeah, we just like uh, chatted and uh, emailed, and she she made an illustration. Um, and, uh, yeah. That's and then uh, and then you can publish you can go to a publisher and try to convince them mm-hmm. I don't want to convince anyone I think also if you see that all the books are about cars probably there is a market about it so I, I'm not going to convince people I just published it yeah. on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn mm. 
I got over 1,000 uh, pre-orders. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and then it just uh, forced me. I promised that within a few weeks the book is out, but I had only one image and, uh, <laughs> 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 and a script with a lot of misspellings. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it forced me to work another two weeks on uh, making it. Fixing, uh, yeah. To fix everything, yeah. full two weeks, and uh, uh, running it through a lot of uh, friends, children, and... Uh, <laughs> just telling it. Yeah, in English. How they behave after. <laughs> Are they throwing the... <laughs> or their parents or they agree to still drive yeah, a car or yeah. a bicycle and then i just put it out i started getting pictures from people in new zealand mexico uh, I nice. got, uh iran uh so i got a lot of nice pictures congratulations yeah congratulations thanks thanks good job so um so you think like that your advice is that okay just go for it and write yeah like your podcast i guess you, you don't need to tell me the numbers but i guess that your first ep- episode had very little Listener? Yeah, like first was my my dad listening yeah. to it. He didn't under, understand Swedish, but oh, he was no. like, okay, I, I, he said I will listen to support you. Well, thanks, Dad, appreciate it. But oh, then, nice. like, yeah, of course, it's not compared to I guess to your numbers now when we published this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's like the that's the thing. You did it because you thought it's cool. You probably listened to other podcasts, of course, and yeah. you thought that Swedish is missing, probably I guess, and yeah, or yeah. missing other voices. I I thought your you have a very unique voice on urbanism. Which I mean, we keep you know getting the the regulars all the time, and you you bring another voice. So that was first that, then you you just kept doing it, and that's the most important actually to keep doing it mm. because people are expecting, right? Expecting. Yeah, yeah they they are like how to say they're following, so they're waiting. For yeah, it. they're waiting. They're yeah, expecting you. Exactly. So I guess that if you don't publish, they also ask you. Something. Yeah, they were like, "What happened?" What happened? <laughs> I need it for my commute, and I don't have it now. <laughs> I, I I listen to podcasts when I cycle to work and back. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, if a podcaster is not releasing the episode uh, that I yeah I you like I'm like wow well, you just ruined yeah, the yeah. commute now I need you to promised me every you Monday promised me every Monday for free content <laughs> and you don't give it to me unfollow <laughs> yeah then people just unfollow so, and find another podcast yeah. so is is your um, do you have any ideas for like next book. Yeah, I want to write a book, uh, but if someone will steal my idea, I will uh, sue them, but I want to write a book. <laughs> but you want to do it more. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Because you to... like how, like... Yeah, I love I love how children, I just did a read in a school in New York. Oh, I did it online, but uh, in a school uh, with children uh, that are on the autistic spectrum and children that are not. So it's a, it's a mixed class and it was wonderful. The kids loved it so much uh and the, and also this mixed class i mean i would never end up speaking in such a mixed class in brooklyn if i didn't write a book uh and i i gave a reading in a bicycle festival in rotterdam with cute children amazing and i'm, I'm going to write a book about I, I my next book uh, and probably the last one because it's really <laughs> takes a lot of energy <laughs> I, it's about kids that take over a street and actually build it for uh kids okay yeah so yeah, uh yeah. that's i i already wrote the script and and then then i'm done then i quit <laughs> <laughs> then i'm famous <laughs> but, but t- tell me like you you have a children as a as a group because it's like a kind of easier to write right you don't need to write a scientific book with back it up with so many numbers and statistic it's like it's easy to do it no actually there or? was a there was a podcast I, I just forgot the name was it the urbanist or the urbanist from the monocle or no yeah 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 no, so it's another podcast i forgot the name uh that doesn't go anymore and there was a visitor door uh interviewee and he said that if he tries to explain an urban uh issue he was an urbanist but in general he tries to, to explain a professional issue he tries to explain it to a child yeah and if he cannot explain it to a child then the 
the professional doesn't understand the problem uh. because if you just use jargon and big words about uh, your topic <laughs> and start to uh, add more and more jargon it means that you probably are not really sure about your idea so you just like uh, spam with there's so many numbers yeah. and numbers and ideas and uh, then I thought actually it is really good to explain to children so I, it's not the first time I do it things with children mm. uh, and also just speaking with my I don't have children of my own yet but Uh, children from my family and their friends about yeah. how they get to school and why they do it with a car or yeah. with a bike try to explain mobility in a simple words and not if you can explain it to children you can also explain it to elderly and you can also explain mm. it to your family I'm following your work and you love to work with data yeah and tell a story based off data yeah so uh, give us some like a project that you work with based on data and how do you work with data and how do you collect data yeah so this is the Um, my passion. I, I used to be a computer programmer, so this is really my passion. Really? Then I realized that I need to change my work and not sit all day long behind the computer. What do you do now? <laughs> sit all day long behind the computer. <laughs> yes. But I changed the topic, right? Yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think we need more uh, uh, programmers and people like that in urbanism because they can do amazing yeah. things. Especially those who are really good programmers. I'm far from that, but those who are really good, they they they, they know how mm, to get mm, things done. Yeah. And uh I or and we also need urban planners that can script a little bit because they really many times just think in general in policy and they don't know how, how Exactly. I, I had a, like a, a podcast episode with a, an urban tech company. Oh. And like we talked a lot and in, in very interesting. They do a very interesting job here in Sweden. And I like my conclusion from that episode that we need like now introduce a new how to say a program maybe in in an university like the mix of of programmers programmers yeah. and planners because like we need more and we municipalities will use more and more data yeah now municipalities have the data and they this takes me to answer your question about the project they have the data because they collect it mm. they are forced even in some countries to keep it open and public okay And some of them actually even do it, <laughs> keep it public. The <laughs> others say that they are still working on it, but they don't know what to do with the data. And especially the, the people who, I mean, the people who actually can use this insightful, interesting data about public space don't have access to that. So you have the planners and the designers yeah. that could use so much information about how spaces are being used mm. or even how much times the traffic, uh, sorry, the garbage cans are being emptied. This can tell so much about the use and the type of use of public space. Yeah. And they never have access to that. But what, what kind what kind of data are we talking about? Like, w- give us some e- examples. So uh, I will give you an example yeah. from uh, a project we did. And I can give... Uh, in Rotterdam, uh, we the city wanted to make streets uh, safer for walking and cycling. I guess it's like every city in the world. Yeah. But they have a lot of information about accidents, about uh, complaints of people of where it's not uh, nice to walk. They did a huge survey where people uh, filled up um, answers about where they like to walk, where they don't like to walk, where it's safe to cycle, where can they like to shop, where they like just to walk for fun, where they like to walk to work. To, uh, they have information about any accident that happened in the city. That's good. Uh, based on uh, age mm-hmm. and the type of vehicles that were involved in this, in this accident, 
And they have all this information in a GIS system, which is a geographic information yeah. system that urban planners should, should be able sometimes to work with. And it is so much information that it, it, it is incre- it's impossible to read. And then we thought <laughs> we need to tell a story with that, right? Yeah, because, yeah. You, otherwise, you just you have so many actions. Yeah, so many data points that mean nothing. You don't tell a story. And if you want to tell it to a politician or to a resident who is not a professional, it is, impo- it is impossible to, to do. So what we did is we decided, okay, let's tell a story. Uh, we, we, we told many stories, but I will give you one example. Yeah. We told uh, a story about children walking to school. And we chose it because nobody can be against children walking to school. So how, how do you do that? So we, we thought, okay, we have all this data information about accidents and where, peop- and where children walk and why, where parents mm-hmm. like to walk and not. Let's tell, let's, see, let's tell a story about how can we make all Rotterdamer children being able to walk to school without uh, going through a dangerous road. So, ba- wow. uh, uh, so that's a vision. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, and then we started casting. So uh, the first thing we did is finding all the streets around school mm. that uh, have accidents. Yeah, and uh, then we used a model that the city already has to identify dangerous street, and we added them. Then we then just like from traffic yeah, safety point of view, traffic yeah. safety point of view. Then we took all the surveys. I, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of uh, data points of surveys throughout the years. That it, uh, most cities have this kind of yeah. Uh, databases that uh, nobody knows how to even open <laughs> and then i mean it's a podcast so it's very difficult to show but we started building it as a, as a storyboard with pictures starting from the child going to school mm. and then showing what they reach and then uh from from this human uh, child perspective uh if it needs to cross a road it's like having a, a wall yeah it just cannot cross the child cannot cross mm. a road that is 50 kilometer per hour And then we identified all the streets that, according to our story, should be improved. And then yeah. you end up also with a very simple sentence. You say something like, if you will fix, I'm, I'm just giving a number now, yeah. this 20 kilometer of streets, mm-hmm. you will enable every child in Rotterdam to go to school safely. Uh, And then, I, I, I mean, it's not even about right wing or left wing. Can any politician be against like, yeah. children <laughs> going safely to school? I mean, it's... Uh, I understand <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. But like how... Uh, What, what is the key to do this? Is like reading data or understanding data? I mean, like, let's say we have planners and architects working with this. So what is the key to, to transform data? So that was the, the first one is, the, okay, we have all this data and then we need someone who can speak both languages. Many times, I mean, luckily I can program, I can, I can, I can work with data and I, I also hope that I understand urbanism. So I can do both. But sometimes you just need two of those people in the room. Right? A yeah. programmer, a, a, someone who knows how, how to do programming and then someone who knows how to do uh, urbanism uh, or urban planning. But sometimes you also need to create the data from scratch. So mm. this is a project we now work on, the, the good public space analysis. It's our realization that we collect data about public space, like I told you now, but it is not quality data enough to tell something about how people enjoy, interact with the yeah. space. And, and so we realized, okay, we can uh, write all the code that we want, mm. but if we don't have the basic data to tell about how people interact in public spaces, it will not work. So we just created a new way of collecting, the, like, observing public yeah, spaces, yeah. Uh, surveying public spaces, speaking with people, mm. speaking with municipalities. 
creating a new sort of a database that uh, is designed from scratch uh, for different uh, stakeholders in the municipality to be able to speak in the same language. So not only, for instance, there are a lot of databases about mobility, yeah. but then the people of public space don't understand it because it's in a mobility world mm. right? or engineering world. Yeah. And then there is the data about uh, maintenance, about garbage cans, but nobody from the mobility department knows about it. For instance, you don't know when uh, garbage vehicles are coming to create a traffic jam <laughs> because they mm-hmm. need to stop. Sure. We, we decided to create this tool from scratch in a way that it will be a discussion point between uh, different mm-hmm. stakeholders mm-hmm. Uh, in words that are human <laughs> and understandable that also children can understand. Yeah. Very, very simple word uh, about a way to create good public spaces mm. for people. Yeah. And and in your journey of transforming data to stories and and put together different disciplines, what what are the challenges that you are facing? Um I think that uh what you see with uh, public tenders is that those things are, are hardly being asked. Uh what do you mean? T- tenders for projects. So when you have a project to redesign a street, yeah. you will never have the, a request of yeah, yeah, yeah I a got beautiful you. Yeah. story about <laughs> a child going to school. True. So you need to you you need to first be sure that you are actually delivering what was asked from you. Like this analysis or the drawing, uh, technical drawing or something. Exactly, yeah. and then you can add to that your layer. But uh, if the the person from the municipality or from the government that is sometimes just wants things to get done the way they've always been going. Uh, it will it will take some time to convince and many times you cannot convince or they will not wor- want to work with you because you are making too much changes of the way they used to work and i respect also those decisions because uh, municipalities uh, people working in municipalities are extremely busy mm. with way too much project and they cannot rethink uh, the world of urbanism every time and that's why we also really try to at least in my projects i try to not not reinvent the wheel. I mean, let's do what you wanted, but let's yeah. do it in in more innovative, nicer, mm. more accessible way to others, to residents, to to other stakeholders. And uh, the best way to sell a project is to have a successful project. <laughs> then you will have more. Of course, yeah. More people want this. Uh, yeah. Project. Yeah. It's very interesting. Do you like you um? Do you find there? There is like uh, difficulties in uh, in um, convincing the people from municipality to change their mindset because they are very stressed or because of like they don't want to risk the the budget they have. Um, we are a rather small company, so um, we also are luckily working mostly with people that found us and want to work okay. with us. Mm. So you end up working with very nice people, nice that want to do a change. Yeah, but I. We did come across a lot of um, of those kind of uh, municipal workers or uh, civil servants, yeah. uh, is a better way to call it, that suffer in those organizations because they want to make a change and they don't manage yeah. because of budgets. Because yeah, of budget, yeah. And I think that maybe I, sometimes we thought, we said it a little bit jokely, but actually I think it's a, it's a good idea to start a, like a sort of supporting between change leaders in municipalities to support each other because mm. they don't get the support within the yeah their team so um i yeah we we don't come across i mean 
yeah, projects are difficult, but all projects, I'm not going to cry here, all projects are difficult, even if you just build mm. a bridge true. in a classic way. It's, it's very difficult. The budget is never enough. And the timeline is uh, never working, even mm. if you factor 20% more time before, it never works. Yeah. And you always finish up at the last moment uh, and everybody's stressed and nobody sleeps. That's, mm. that's like interesting. No, it's it's very interesting to to have this conversation. And um, I would love to ask you, because you're a summerless planner. <laughs> I'm a society planner. <laughs> society yeah. planner. So um, what do you think that urban planners should stop doing when they plan cities? Be friendly with your yeah. colleagues. <laughs> first of all, I think yeah, you should be. Uh, first of all, find a job where uh, your colleagues have uh, also humor and they are nice. Okay, each other, right. That's the first thing you should do, or be nice to your colleagues. Uh, I think that uh, Jane Jacobs uh, said it already fifty years ago. People are not going to use public spaces just because planners told them to do it, and she talked about this big parks that were built outside neighborhoods while ruining parks inside neighborhoods. And planners didn't understand, and architects didn't understand why nobody comes to those shady, dark parks outside of a neighborhood. And she said, um, yeah, people use places where they are, and that's where you need to build uh, quality public spaces. So I, I would, I, I think that urban planners have this amazing skill to, to, to create plans that many times also happen. Uh, so they actually create the world. They play SimCity. They many times forget that people are real. Yeah. Um, and I think they realize it only when their project goes wrong or when a project comes in their neighborhood and they realize, oh, now nobody listens to us. Mm. It's horrible. I, I, I had it. I work in Rotterdam. I will not name the neighborhood where I live because then <laughs> it might insult someone. But they changed my neighborhood, uh, a street in my neighborhood. I they asked for a change uh, for uh, our opinion about the, the the residents for our opinion i sent back my idea my opinion and they never answered to me and then i sent back and i said hey i'm an urban planner yeah and i really think you made a mistake that is actually not according to the recommendation mm. by the government yeah and they never answered to me again so uh, and then I sent again and they say, oh yeah, well, sorry, we were really, 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 really busy. What? We wanted to answer you. And then they answered me and they were really nice. And I then I also understand, yeah, they probably got 100 messages and they could not even answer. Okay, I understand, yeah. So it's not their fault. Mm. Or it is maybe because maybe they should have said in the beginning, we don't have time. Yeah. Uh, or it's not their fault and they just made a mistake. But I see how mm. residents is being uh, answered. And I... Everybody, uh, literally, almost everybody I work with in the, mus- in the municipality are good people who try to do good. They just don't have time or... Uh, why why, the, why they don't have time? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think with everybody who is not an urban planner or work in the municipality, they always tell me, ah, oh, those municipal workers, they never do anything. They just go to home at five. But Yeah, like, like wait, wait, wait. We, we need to stop here because I hear exactly the same thing here. Yeah. Let's say from people not working in the municipality. Yeah. They say... From other people, they say, "I'm oh, people for uh, people from the municipality. They go to work at nine. They they do coffee. They go for lunch. Then they go home very early to bring their kids." And I see the same story there. And uh, but do you work with municipalities? I I do. I work with municipalities. Do you see this? No, it's I, I'm not working at a mun- yeah, municipality. Yeah, municipality. With yes, but I don't see this, so I don't know why. Why like? I think because there is. Some, I guess that in the seventies. 
<laughs> people in the municipality is really, uh, you know, at five o'clock you hear all the pens drop and everybody <laughs> goes home. But it's just not true. I mean, first of all, good for them. Good work-life balance is very important. Of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I really see, I mean, I see the projects that they need to go through and the citizen participation processes that they go through. I mean, I, I was in... Uh, in another Dutch city, the citizen participation process about a playground, I mean, such an important playground. And the shouts <laughs> that the municipal workers got from residents, I was like, oh my God, we need a psychologist in this room because wow. I mean, it, it's just not fair for anyone to have so much negativity mm. about the playground, yeah. which to be honest, it doesn't really matter if the playground will be made of, 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 of sand or of plastic. I mean, it's such a small issue at the end of the day. Or not small, but it is not doesn't worth so much hate. And I think municipal really the civil servants are really suffering, and then they have the pressure of ridiculous politicians giving them <laughs> crazy, yeah, promise crazy things. Uh, I mean, and and of course in some cities it works much better than others. So I don't know when I see it from the other side. I never worked from municipality, but when I see it from the higher side, I think there are a lot of good people trying True. to good of course. to do this, and the system doesn't work somehow. Yeah, and I have so, no idea how to fix so, it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so so to summarize your answer what urban planners should stop doing they should stop plan places according to their imagination and start using their skill and translate the wishes of people into reality mm, interesting so and this take uh, take me to the next question what are the skills that urban planners should learn um, so we know what urban plans already learn, right? Uh, so we want to add to that. Right? Yeah, add exactly. So yeah. we already touched the uh, analytics. I think very important, especially that a lot of urban planners are coming from the social world, especially like, for instance, uh, society planning in Sweden was amazing that we had such a multidisciplinary team there. Uh, and adding to the mix skills like analytics, a little bit just to understand the terms, you know, to understand the notion, mm -hmm. not, not hardcore. Um, I would say storytelling or especially visualization. Um, and uh, something I wish I, I learned or will learn to do one day is like sort of project management. Uh, you mean like budget and timeline yeah, and stuff? We learn in resources. Yeah, resource and, and it doesn't need to, you don't need to learn the profession at university per se, right? You can learn it later. But a lot of urban planners, also juniors, they get a project right away that they need actually to manage. Mm. They don't call themselves project manager, but they at, at the end of the day, they get a certain budget yeah. and they have many stakeholders. So I see I see junior urban planners doing project management, which is a very difficult thing. Uh, That's true because we didn't have a, like such course in uh, urban planning. Yeah. No. I, I had it when I did like architecture and engineering. But you had the project management course. Yeah, and they talk about like how you plan and uh, how much does it cost and so, but not, not when we do urban planning and program. Most urban planners, especially in Sweden, and the Netherlands, they end up working for cities with public money, and they don't know anything <laughs> about managing a project. Yeah, uh, using uh, our tax money. So yeah. I, I guess they learn it at work. And yeah, the yeah. Courses. But it would be nice to have it at university. Already, exactly. Yeah, because like everyone when start they start work, I think they they got like a, such kind of project management course or yeah, exactly. like two days of this. Two days is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, more skills or yeah, more skills is uh, or it's not a specific skill, but in general, I didn't learn at university uh, design of uh, in general i didn't learn design tools and i just did everything by myself 
So uh, I did it by using a small website called YouTube. It's like a... It's a big website now. <laughs> just Google, you see tutorials. Yeah. Uh, we started with uh, the EU, the EAT Urban Mobility Academy. We, we started many free courses. Uh, it's called urbanmobilitycourses.eu. And there you have a lot of courses about mobility and urbanism. So this is just one example, and it's all free. Um, an example that there is so much courses, out, courses webinars, yeah. conferences, podcast that mm. you can just keep listening yes. to uh, sometimes it's also repeating itself so you can stop like i do sometimes but uh, i mean every basically every challenge on on design or mathematics or statistics that i have i just go to youtube and someone already made sure to have yeah. an answer by the way you should send me later the links of of the course oh, absolutely your book uh, what else um you have like a project published project yeah we we'll send also the our good public space tool that i, yeah. I, I talked before yeah. Uh, I will just send you. Yeah, send you some links. links. I will spam you later. (laughs) I will not reply to you like the municipality. I will say (laughs) I was busy. (laughs) But okay, so next question is about um, if you're in charge of all cities around the world and you are allowed to add one thing, could be like a policy or or a physical thing. So what will you add and why? Um, I will add um, probably the, the one simple thing that comes to my mind is a car-free day every week or every month. Every week or every month? Um, the Netherlands, in the 70s or 80s, uh, they had the, the, car, the car-free Sunday uh, when they had the old crisis. Okay. So they didn't have enough. We might face this crisis very soon here as well. Uh, in Israel, they have the Yom Kippur holiday, uh, which is uh, once a year, uh, where you are not allowed to drive. That's not enough. In uh, South America, they have the, especially in Colombia, they have the Ciclovia every weekend, right? In Argentina. And I think that this is probably the one easy, nice thing you can do in the weekend, every weekend on Sunday or Saturday. Uh, combine it with food, uh, fun for children, uh, maybe with a local church or mosque or synagogue. So it, you combine, you combine uh, family time. Uh, with uh, with uh, with society, with uh, you don't talk about mobility. Mm. Just say <laughs> public space is open, and I think it changes the minds of a lot of people. Uh, Wait, so you introduced the car-free day? It's because uh, the CO two emissions, or because the use of the cars, or what do you want to to what message do you want to deliver with this action? I think that this is the best way for people to experience how the city can look like without without cars i don't i'm not saying that if we will introduce it uh, the next day or the next year everybody will support remove, making car free cities mm. but if you remove one day a year a car from the city you cut by i don't know 10 yeah. <laughs> percent i mean it's not a commute day normally but people use the yeah, car a lot yeah. on the weekend as well mm-hmm. they travel fast you also solve the fact that People try to run out of the city because it's not nice. You make it nice. Yeah, exactly. Inside. Yeah. You promote local businesses because they can get out there and mm. put their food or uh, mm. what they want to sell outside. Yeah. It's good for culture. It supports uh, small businesses. It supports um, uh, vulnerable uh, communities uh, that suffer because mostly they are located also here in Sweden next to highways. As uh, uh, you know, the, segre- the segregated neighbors are always end up mm. miraculously next to busy, dangerous highways. Mm. Uh, so I think it's just it's one thing that I think is completely fair, and it's something that literally, if 
if cities from Bogota through Paris to uh, Sydney manage to do it so, at least once, yeah. it's possible to do yeah, it. Yeah, true. Nobody has an excuse. True. So now you have uh, $1 million? dollar. I do. Uh, where, where are they? <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Let's see how you answer. You have $1 million dollar. And you can invest it in, in an urban development project. Where will you put the money? Uh, the most cost-effective way you could use. So I'm, I'm looking at it only from cost-effectiveness. Not, I don't, not from ideology. It would probably be uh, walking and cycling. So mm. if it's a city that already has good walking infrastructure, just build a bike lane. Okay. The bike lane will always return. It will return much more than uh, any road. Um, or uh, even any bus lane, just <laughs> like yeah, lanes. and Sorry. you can build a lot with one yeah, million yeah. euro. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, lot, a, a lot, a lot, a lot. Dollar, it's almost like less. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna miss one kilometer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the missing link. That's yeah. <laughs> okay, so the money is uh, not yours anymore. Sorry, <laughs> you just. <laughs> a lot, I made a lot of people cycle. That's yeah. good. Awesome. So the last two questions, and the first one is going to be you giving me and the listeners three takeaway messages. How do we plan and design future cities? Wow. Um, so I already mentioned, um, understand what people want, about what they truly want, not just another lane of more parking spaces, but what truly they want, how they want to run their life and try to translate it into policy and design. Number two is that uh, We don't really need to reinvent a lot of things. Uh, for instance, with data, we already have a lot. Uh, we just need to reuse it. And number three, and it is true, again, reuse. I mean, we have enough, we built enough, we have enough roads, we have enough public space, we have enough space. We just need to repurpose it. Uh, I, 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 I don't think we need to make our cities, for instance, bigger, which can just densify them and make them nicer, uh, for instance. Uh, so. Uh, I would say uh, mostly uh, listen to people and reuse what we already have. Interesting. And the last question is going to be you asking it to me and to the listeners. What is your question to us? I have one. Tell so, me. Um, I would ask if you had 1 million euro or uh, even uh, 10,000 euro and you could replace the parking spot outside of your house. What would you do there? And I will also actually ask it uh, every citizen in the city because we will learn a lot about what people want outside of the house and what they're missing outside of the house. Thank you so much for giving your time to record this and I'm happy to follow you and keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Stay in touch. Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.